that you would please, uh, please meet with us. Lord, I pray you would help me. Give me the words to say as we look at your uh, Bible tonight. We understand that your Bible, your word has power. It can help us. It can help our lives. It can help all the endeavors that we have with our families, with our businesses, with just all the things that we do. Father, I pray you'd help us as we just look at this story tonight, as we study the Bible tonight. I pray you'd help us to be able to learn from it, and that we would apply it to your word, uh, to our lives. Apply your word to our lives. Lord, please be with my words. Help me, Lord, as I attempt to help these dear people. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're there in Judges chapter number 12. In the last few weeks, other than last week, we took a break from Judges because we were doing the filming there for the documentary, but we've been going through the book of Judges on Sunday night. And the last couple services have been on the life or the subject of Jephthah. Tonight we'll deal with Jephthah again. Tonight will be the last night that we look at Jephthah in the book of Judges. Uh, But I want you to notice a couple of things of Jephthah, something that I thought was kind of interesting. And tonight we're going to be looking at Uh, Jephthah and another judge that we've already looked at in the book of Judges. If you remember Gideon, we spent a few weeks studying the life of Gideon as we've been going through the book of Judges. But tonight I want you to, I want to show you a few comparisons and a very distinct uh, contrast between the judge Jephthah and uh, Gideon. And there are some comparisons in the Bible about these two men that I believe are kind of interesting. Of course, the obvious comparison is this. They were both judges. And I know that's pretty obvious and basic, but Gideon was a judge, Jephthah was a judge, very few men in the, in the Bible lived during this time frame, and very few men who lived during this time frame got to be judges over the land of Israel. But another comparison, taking it further, for Jephthah and, uh, and Gideon is this. Keep your finger there in Judges chapter 12, and go with me through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 11, I'll give you just another very basic comparison between Jephthah and Gideon in Hebrews, which is towards the end of your New Testament. Hebrews, if you get to uh, James, you went a little too far. Hebrews is right after the books of Second Second uh, and First Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Then you have the book of Hebrews, and if you got to James, you went too far towards the end of the New Testament. There, Hebrews chapter number eleven. Now, Hebrews chapter number eleven is a very well-known chapter. It's known as the Hall of Faith. This is where God put all the different people who had great faith in the Bible, and He tells us about their faith, and He tells us about the things they did. If you look at verse number thirty-two, and we've seen this verse before. As we've been going through the book of Judges. But if you look at verse number 32. You have here the judges from the book of Judges. That are named in Hebrews chapter number 11. Now you got to understand this. Not all the judges were named. Okay, Only four judges out of all the judges in the book of Judges. Only four judges were named in Hebrews chapter number 11. And of those four, two of them are Gideon and Jephthah. Look at verse 32. The Bible says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak 
and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, who we know was the king of Israel, and Samuel, and of the prophets. So, uh, and Samuel played the role there of a judge and a, and, a, and a priest and all that as well. If you go back to Judges, I want you to see this, okay? Comparisons between Jephthah and Gideon. Here are the comparisons. Number one, they were both judges. Number two, they were both judges named, of only the four judges named in the book of Hebrews, and the Hall of Fame, these were two of them. But I want you to see another comparison, and really what stood out to me very much, uh, are you there in Judges chapter 12? Flip back one page to Judges chapter number 11. Judges chapter number 11. Look at verse number 1. Judges chapter number 11 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was, and I want you to notice this, and if you take notes in your Bible, underline this, this phrase, was a mighty man of valor. Do you see that? Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. And he was the son of an harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. Now I told you tonight, look, I, I got a few references, I just, honestly, I just got one thought tonight I want to give you. Okay? I know usually around here we got like, you know, all these points and subpoints and all that stuff. I got one thought I want to give you, but you got to follow what I'm saying, okay? If we can do it quickly, we can get to the coffee and donuts and all that. I know some of you want to get to donuts. Good night. That was this morning, right? Uh, cake and ice cream. Get to the cake and ice cream, but you got to follow along with me, okay? No notice what I say. Verse 1. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. Go to Judges chapter number 6. Look at verse number 11. It won't take long if you follow along. Judges chapter number 6. The Bible tells us Jephthah was a mighty man of valor. Judges chapter number 6. Look at verse 11. Judges chapter number 6, verse number 11. Here we have when God called Gideon to be a judge. Judges chapter number 6, verse number 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah and that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite and his son Gideon. So we're talking about Gideon. Threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him. Notice what the angel of the Lord said to Gideon. The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Did you see that? So the Bible calls both these men, Jephthah and Gideon, Gideon, both judges, both judges named in the Hall of Faith, the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter number 11. The Bible also calls both of these men mighty men of valor, which has to do with the fact that they were great warriors and they were great uh, 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 leaders there of armies. Let me give you another comparison of Jephthah. And uh, Gideon, go back to Judges chapter 12. We dealt the last couple weeks with the life of Jephthah, and we developed there the war that he fought, and the vow that he made, and all that. But after the battle was won, after the victory was won, notice what happens. Judges chapter 12, look at verse 1. And the men of Ephraim, I want you to make note of that. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together, and went northward... And said unto Jephthah, so the men of Ephraim come together, they go to meet Jephthah, notice what they said to him, and said unto Jephthah, wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. Now, I don't have time to go back and re-preach it all, but if you remember, Jephthah just won a battle bringing freedom and liberty to these people. And when the battle is 
victory's won, the fighting is over, the Bible says when the whole, when everything's done, peace has come, Jephthah's the victor, Jephthah has done everything he's supposed to do, the Ephraimites show up out of nowhere, and they question Jephthah, and they say, why didn't you call us? Why weren't you, why, why didn't, we didn't know you were fighting. Notice what they said. They said, wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst not call us to go with thee. Now listen, that is a flat out lie. You know why? Look at verse 2. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon, and when I called you, ye delivered me not. Jephthah said, I did call you, and you didn't show up. But I want you to notice this. Once the battle's over, once the enemy's gone, once it is safe, the Ephraimites show up and they start complaining. Why didn't you call us? Why didn't you let us be part of this? Now I want you to notice this. Go back to Judges chapter number 8. Do you remember when Gideon fought that great battle, won the great victory, brought peace to the land? Notice what happened to Gideon. Chapter number 8, verse number 1. And the men of... Does that sound familiar? Ephraim. You see that? And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? Does this sound familiar to you? It's interesting to me that here you have two judges. They're both in Hebrews 11. They're both called mighty men of valor. They both win great victories, and both of them had to deal with the children of Ephraim coming to them after the battle and complaining about not being involved in the battle. Just some comparisons between their lives. You say, well, what can we learn about this? The Ephraimites come to Gideon and complain. Why didn't you call us to fight? The Ephraimites later, years and years later, come to Jephthah and complain. Why didn't you call us to fight? You know what we can learn about this? You can, you can learn a few things from this. Number one, this should teach us that there will be always someone who complains. You can win a great battle. You can bring liberty. You can bring freedom. And someone, look, you can be doing great things. You can start a church. You can preach a message. You can get somebody saved. You can restore a family. You can be used of God in wonderful ways. And there's always going to be someone that has something negative to say. Just learn it. Just realize it. Just realize it. When you're accomplishing something in life, someone will have something to complain about, something negative to say. But you know what else we can learn from this? This should teach us that not only will there always be someone to complain, this also teaches us that people who don't help the first time probably won't help the second time. They didn't show up for the battle with Gideon, and guess what? They were also missing with the battle with Jephthah. You know, we've gone through two small building projects here at Ready Baptist Church. We remember we were meeting in the house. We went to that first small building over there. We remodeled it. Then we outgrew that building. We moved to this building and we remodeled it. You know the people that helped us remodel the first building are the people that helped us remodel the second building? And you know the people that didn't show up for the first building? They didn't show up for the work day for the second building? You just got to learn that. Well, what, what, why, why is so-and-so not helping us with this battle? Well, Jephthah, don't worry about it. They didn't show up with Gideon either. I mean, there's a few lessons you can learn. Number one, there's always someone who's willing to complain. Number two, people who don't show up the first time probably won't show up the second time. And they probably won't show up the third time. And they're probably not going to be there the fourth time. So just take your eyes off of them and put them on Jesus Christ. Number three, this teaches us that people who complain once will probably complain again. 
They complained to Jephthah, to Gideon, and they brought the same complaint to Jephthah. And number four, this teaches us this, that the people who don't help are the people who are the most likely to complain. These guys did not show up for the battle, but when the battle's done, they're the ones correcting the general. You know, we'll continue with this whole, you know, remodeling the building just because it's easy. But you know that the people that show when we had to be in the opening service, oh, come look at our new building, we remodeled it, and this place did not. You say, this isn't very impressive. You should have seen it before we started. But you know why you're thinking that? This isn't very impressive? Because you weren't here to help fix it. <laughs> because the people who show up for the battle are probably not the ones that are going to complain. The guys who were AWOL when the battle needed to be fought are the same guys that are complaining. The people that walk in here and say, well, you guys, you know, this wasn't done the right way. Those are also the people that weren't here to get help us get that done. And I'm not complaining to you. It's not like we have a building problem. I'm just explaining to you. Just really, you, say, you say, I get so frustrated at work because there's this guy that is always complaining. Just realize there's always going to be a guy who's always complaining. There's always going to be a girl who's always complaining. I'm so frustrated because so-and-so just, they didn't help the first time, they're not probably not going to help the second time. They, they, they weren't there the first time, probably, they complained this time, they'll probably complain again. The Ephraimites show us for leadership, for those of you that are leaders, maybe you're a manager, maybe you're a mother, maybe you're a father, maybe, whatever you are, just realize there's always going to be someone to complain, there's always going to be someone who's not willing to help, but guess what? There's always someone there to help too. Just don't let it discourage you, don't let it bother you. But learn from it, and learn this, go to Numbers. The book of Numbers, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers, chapter number 11. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers, chapter number 11. Look at verse 1. Numbers, chapter number 11, and verse 1. Numbers, chapter 11, and verse 1. And when the people complained, do you see that? It displeased the Lord. You know that it's a, it's a sin to complain? The, Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And you know what complaining is? Is us verbally stating that we are not happy with something. And when you are verbally stating that you are not happy with something, then you are saying that God messed up. God did not put me in the position that I feel I should be. If there is a problem, then fix it. And if you can't fix it, then don't worry about it. But you ought not complain, because complaining means you're not content. The Bible says, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it. And His anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Now you say, God killed these people for complaining? Listen to me. These people had been in bondage for over 400 years. For over 400 years they were slaves, they were beaten, they were not free, they were a possession, they were used for, for labor, they were not paid. God delivers them out of the bondage, they get into the wilderness, God gives them manna from heaven that He doesn't have to give them, then they complain about the manna. God gives them quail, they complain about the quail. God gives them this and God gives them that and they're constantly complaining and murmuring and, and they're not thinking, wow, I, I, I'd rather be free with manna than back in slavery. See, complaining is showing your incontentment. Go to Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Jude, right before the book of Revelation. I know we're preaching through the book of Jude, but you you got to look at this verse. Jude 
Look at verse 16. Jude 16. We like to complain. We like to make it known when we're not happy. And look, all of us do it. Every single one of us does it. But you got to understand this, okay? We get this idea that the environment changes a man. Have you ever heard that before? We, here's what we think. Oh, so-and-so, they grew up in bad circumstances. And look, I'm not minimizing what someone might have grown up in, but you know what? Jephthah grew up in some really bad circumstances too. Well, they grew up in a bad... You know, they grew up to be a drug dealer, and they grew up to be a murderer, and they grew up... But it's not their fault. There's the environment they were in. Let me tell you something. Environments do not change an individual. You and I get this idea. Look, let me just help you with your marriage right now. People get this idea. If only I was married to someone else, then I would have a good marriage. No, you wouldn't. Because the problem with your marriage is you. If only I had another job, then then things would be okay. Now see, the, the problem with your income is that you don't control your spending. It's not the job, it's you. We get this idea, if my environment was different, then the man would change. Let me tell you something. Environments don't change men. Men change environments. You don't like the way your life is, then change it. You don't like the way your marriage is going, then change it. You don't like how your kids are being raised, then change it. You don't like how your income is being spent, then change it. Don't spouse. God, you gave me the wrong children. God, you gave me the wrong upbringing. No. Complaining is not of God. Are you there in Jude? Look at verse 16. Jude 16, the Bible says, and he had in his right, I'm sorry, I'm in Revelation. Jude 16. There, these, and we're studying Jude on Wednesday nights, and we know we're talking, this is talking about false prophets. Look what it says. These are murmurers, complainers, Walking after their own lust, and their mouths speak a great swelling words, having men's person in admiration because of advantage. Don't be a murmurer. Don't be a complainer. Look, if you don't have the power to change something, then just let it go. Don't worry about it. Spend your whole life frustrated over something you can't change. And if you can change it, then change it. Go back to Judges 12. I told you I wanted to show you the comparisons between Jephthah and Gideon. Here are the comparisons. Both of them were judges. Here are the comparisons. Both of them appear in the Hall of Faith. Here are the comparisons. They were both called mighty men of valor. Here are the comparisons. They both had to deal with the complaining of the Ephraimites. A lot of comparisons. But I also want you to show you the contrast between Jephthah and Gideon. See, they had many similar things, but there was also a very distinct difference between Jephthah and Gideon. And I want you to see it. Go back to Judges chapter number 8. We saw this a few weeks ago, maybe almost a couple months ago, when we were studying the, book, the life of Gideon. But I want you to see it again. The Bible says it's okay, it's safe for you to hear things more than once. But in Judges chapter 8, look at verse number 1 again. The Bible says, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, 
Why hast thou served us thus? That thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites, and they did chide, the word chide means they spoke disapprovingly with him sharply. So they complained, they disapproved, they gave their negative words to Gideon. Now, I want you to notice how Gideon responds. And we, and we talked about this before, but I want you to see it again. Notice the response that Gideon gives. Verse 2. And he, Gideon, said unto them... Now, realize, Gideon is the general of the army. Gideon is the judge of Israel. Gideon is the man in charge. And Gideon just won a great battle. I mean, if anyone's in a position to put the Ephraimites in their place, it is Gideon. But notice what Gideon does. Verse 2. And he said unto them, I just I wish I had the eloquence to, to, to get you to understand what's going on here. But Gideon's the verse the Bible says in verse two, and he said unto them, Notice what Gideon says. What have I done now in comparison of you? Now you gotta understand what he's saying. This is what Gideon is saying. He's saying, What have I done compared to what you've done, Ephraimites? Is not the gleanings of the grapes... Now, please understand this. The gleanings of the grapes is like the leftovers. It's a reference to when they would go out in the harvest and they would pick all the grapes. The gleanings is what would get dropped. What would be left over. And, And while they were bringing in that harvest, if anything fell on the ground, they would just leave it on the ground there so that homeless beggars and and widows could come by and pick that up and glean from it so that they could eat. It was just the leftovers. It was just the scrap. And this is what Gideon says. Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim. Ephraim are the complainers. He's saying, is not the scraps, is not the the leftovers of you people, the Ephraimites, better than the entire vintage of Abiezer? And you say, what is he saying? Okay, here's what you understand. There's two things that happen here. The Ephraimites showed up late for the battle. And Abiezer is where the battle, the huge battle, was won. Do you remember that? Go to Judges chapter 6, look at verse 34. Judges chapter 6, verse 34. Judges chapter number 6 and verse 34. The Bible says, Judges chapter 6 and verse 34, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer. Does that sound familiar? And Abiezer was gathered after him. So what happened at Abiezer? And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, uh, 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 who also was gathered after him, and he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. Now you got to understand this, okay? I'm not going to go through the whole story of Gideon. But at Abiezer, do you remember the story of Gideon? 300 men put to flight an entire army. The Bible says it was so huge they could not even number it. 300 men with the Spirit of God on their lives conquered a military so large that could not be numbered. That's what Gideon accomplished at Abiezer. What did the Ephraimites accomplish? Look at Judges chapter number 7. Look at verse 24. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim. So he did call them. Saying, come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took, make note of this, two princes. Do you see that? They took two princes of the Midianites. 
Oreb and Zeb. And they slew Oreb upon the rock of Oreb and Zeb. They slew at the wind, at the winepress of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. So I, 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 I don't know if you're following what I'm saying, but I, I hope you are. Gideon, with 300 men, puts to flight hundreds of thousands of men at Abiezer. The entire tribe of Ephraim kills two gods, Oreb and Z. I mean, which is the greater thing? A whole tribe killing two guys? Or 300 men killing hundreds of thousands of men? But here's what Gideon says. Gideon says, what you did is greater than what I did. He says, what have I done in comparison to you? Go back to Judges chapter 8. Look at verse 2. And he said unto them, What have I done in comparison of you? Is not the gleanings of the great, is not the leftovers of what you did, Ephraim, when you killed those two guys, better than the vintage of Abiezer? Saying, What is Gideon doing? I'll tell you exactly what Gideon's doing. Keep your finger there in Judges chapter 8 and go to Philippians chapter number 2. Now, let, let me just ask you a question. Would you be more impressed with a whole tribe of men killing two guys, or would you be more impressed with 300 men killing hundreds of thousands of men? I think you and I would all be more impressed with what Gideon did than what the Ephraimites did. But Gideon's like, well, look, what you did is greater than what I did. Man, we, we couldn't have done it without you guys. Man, I'm so glad you got those two guys. Man, I was worried about those two princes. If we wouldn't have got those princes, I don't know what we would have done. That's what Gideon you said. Is Gideon mocking them? He's not mocking them at all. Are you there in Philippians chapter number 2? Look at verse number 3. I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. This is real Christianity right here. This is where the rubber meets the road. You want to test your Christianity? You want to know how real you are when it comes to God? Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. The Bible says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You know what happens? These guys, totally out of line, complaining with a negative attitude, walk up to Gideon and, Gideon, and they say, Gideon, I know you just won this great battle, I know you're, vict- you're victorious, I know you're celebrating, but let me tell you, I'm not happy with what you did. And Gideon says, you're right guys. I'm sorry guys. Man, we couldn't have done it without you. You know what he's doing? He's putting them before himself. He's esteeming other better than himself. Go to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. You know what you and I would do? Well, where were you when we were fighting the battle? Why did you show up so late? Are you there in Proverbs 15? Look at verse 1. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Keep your finger there in Proverbs 15 because we're going to come right back to it. Proverbs 15. The Bible says, A soft answer turneth away wrath. If you were to grasp what I'm trying to teach you right now, you, you would go up the ladder at work. Your marriage would be more successful. You would do better with your children. You would have more friends. You would be more successful in life. When someone comes to you with a negative attitude, a complaining attitude, it is in our nature to want to flare up and fight back and, well, you weren't here and you don't know and I, you know, you only did this. But that's not what Gideon did. Gideon did this. A soft answer turneth away wrath. 
He said, you know what, guys, you're right. You know what, guys, we could have done it without you. You know what, we needed you. I'm glad you're here. I'm sorry, and he's esteeming other better than himself. Now keep your finger there. In Proverbs 15, we're coming right back to it, okay? Proverbs 15. Go, go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter number 5. We're, we're almost done, I promise. You just got to see this. Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 39. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 39. Matthew 5, 39. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 39. Matthew 5, 39. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, look what it says, turn to him the other also. Now listen to me. Just think about it. And we read these verses and you think, and we just read them and we don't think anything of it. Think about somebody smacking you in the face. Could there be anything more disrespectful than someone taking their hand and just whack in your face? I mean, would you be upset? I think we'd all be upset. But you know what Jesus said? Turn the other cheek. That's not natural to us. That's not normal. But listen to me. What I just said to you will help you in your life. When you flare up, every time you think someone will, they don't, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't, I don't, I can't believe that. A soft answer, turn it away, wrath. You know why 60% of marriages end in, in America? Because this type of preaching isn't being taught. You know why You know why people get, you know, I can't find a good employee because this type of preaching isn't being taught to people. Jesus Christ said, turn the other cheek. Matthew 5, look at verse 44. Matthew 5, 44. Matthew 5, 44, the Bible says, Matthew 5, 44, this is what Jesus said, but I say unto you, love your enemies. He didn't say love your friends. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And persecute you. You say, I, I want to be used of God. I want God to use me. Get used to people persecuting you. Get used to people despitefully using you. Just get used to it. They did it to Jesus, they'll do it to you. Look at verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain to the just and to the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? I know you love your friends, the people that are nice to you, you love them. But look, look what it says. Do not even the publicans the same? It's easy to love your friend. It's easy to love your neighbor. It's easy to love the people you love. But what about the people that don't love you? The ones that are your negative, your, your neighbor. The ones that are your enemy. The ones that despitefully use you. The ones that want to slap you in your face. Jesus had turned the other cheek. Now I want you to see this. Keep, keep, keep your finger there in Proverbs. Go back to Judges. Remember, we're talking about the contrast between Gideon and Jephthah, right? Gideon and Jephthah were both judges. Gideon and Jephthah were both in the Hall of Faith. Gideon and Jephthah were both called the mighty man of valor. Gideon and Jephthah, after a great victory, both had to deal with the Ephraimites coming and complaining. Gideon chose to lower himself, humble himself, and he responded with a soft answer. Let's see what Jephthah did. Look at verse, Judges chapter 12, verse 1. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, 
Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon? And does not call us to go with thee. We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. Now notice what how notice how Jephthah responds. And I want you to see this, okay? Notice how many times he refers to himself. Let me just give you a clue. Whenever you're, whenever you're thinking about yourself, whenever you're concerned with yourself, whenever you're worried about how you're being treated, let me just tell you right now, you are in the flesh. Because a spiritual person esteems other better than themselves. A carnal person esteems themselves better than others. Notice Jephthah's response. Verse 2, And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great, great sight with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hands. Wherefore, then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? What's the emphasis? Him. He didn't respond the same way. Now I want you to notice what happens. Verse 4. Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. you got to understand this. Gilead and Ephraim, those are brothers. You know what we have here in Judges chapter 12? The first civil war of Israel. Brother versus brother fighting each other. Not the enemy, each other. Not the devil, each other. Look at verse 4. And then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manasites. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan. So the Gileadites take the passages before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when the Ephraimites, these Ephraimites, I guess, you know, according to the context here, they've got like an accent. You know, like you go to the south and they say things differently than how we say them and, you know, the not south. But notice what it says. Which were escaped, said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said nay. So, so they're, they're, they're standing at a passage. They're standing at like a, a, a bridge. And you got to get over to get out of town. And the Gileadites take that bridge. The Ephraimites show up, and they just ask us, they, they ask us one question. They said, You can use the bridge if you tell us, Are you an Ephraimite? Well, the Ephraimite says, No, I'm not an Ephraimite. But it, it wasn't just enough to say, I'm not an Ephraimite. Look at verse 6. Then said they unto him, Okay, well we know you Ephraimites have a lisp. So say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. It's like today, if, somebody, if we're having a civil war. I want to get out of town. Okay, you can get out of town. Say, say this word. Let me ask my mother. Oh, let me ask my mother. Mm-mm. That's not how you pronounce it. Sibboleth. No, it was Shibboleth. Look at verse 7. Look, look at verse 6. Oh, the last part of verse 6. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan. Now I want you to notice this. And there fell at that time of the Ephraimites 40 and 2,000. Here's what I want you to understand. The Ephraimites come to Gideon with a bad attitude. Gideon responds with a soft answer. Just go, go back to Proverbs. Did you, finger, did you keep your finger there? Proverbs 15. I want you to see this. Proverbs 15, look at verse 1. 
A soft answer turneth away wrath. But, here's a contrast. What did Gideon do? A soft answer turneth away wrath. Someone comes with you mad, upset, give them a soft answer, and it'll turn away their wrath. But, grievous words stir up anger. So when you respond with grievous words, you're just going to stir up anger. you got a fire going and you add gasoline to it. That's what you're doing. Gideon gives them a soft answer. It turns away wrath. What's the result of that? Absolutely nothing. Gideon goes down in history as a hero, and the Ephraimites are never heard of. Jephthah wins a great victory. The Ephraimites come to him with a bad, negative attitude. But instead of giving a soft answer, he gave grievous words. He stirred up strife. What's the result? 42,000 men died. Because one guy could not control his temper. Because one guy could not control his tongue. That ought to humble us. The Bible says there is power in our words. Go, go real quickly. Go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Well, I'm not going to... You go ahead and do what you think you got to do. But Jephthah, at the end of this thing, 42,000 men are going to die. 42,000 moms are going to lose their boys. There's going to be some kids without parents. Without daddies. There's going to be some widows mourning. Why? Because you cannot control your tongue. Because you, well, I'm not going to let them treat me that way. You're going to mess things up whenever you start trying to defend yourself. Just like God took care of you. Just like God avenged you. Our words can hurt so bad. James chapter number 3. Look at verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. A big, a big old strong horse. You put a bit in their, a little small bit in their mouth. You control their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. You have this big old ship. You have this small helm, and it turns it which whithersoever the governor listed. Number verse five. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, and it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. If as your is, what can we get from this lesson? Control your tongue. Control what comes out of your mouth. I, I say this often. Most of us do not have a filter between here and here. And everything that pops in here comes out here. Let me tell you something. Everything that comes in here does not need to be heard by everybody. Don't advertise your ignorance. <laughs> put a stop, put a filter between what comes in here. And you may think something about someone, but you don't have to let them know. I'm sure Gideon was thinking, where were you guys when we were fighting? But that's not what he said. He said, man, I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you for what you did help with. I'm sorry. God bless you. And he moved on and did great things with his life. Jephthah said, I'm not going to let you treat me this way. And 42,000 men died. Here's a lesson. Control your tongue. Here's a lesson. Control your temper. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Lord, I know it's a simple message. But Lord, so many of us just talk and talk and talk and don't realize that our talks could be hurting someone.
could be hurting our spouse, could be hurting our kids, the people we love the most, the, the people closest to us are often the ones we hurt with our tongue. Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd be with us. Lord, I pray that you would use us, Lord, and you would help us to be people that would have their words with grace. Father, we love you. I pray you'd help us to learn the lesson. I pray you'd help us to learn from Jephthah. All he had to say was, you're right. I'm sorry. All he had to do was turn the other cheek. But he chose to defend himself. And the history of that, the civil war of that, the pain that that brought, was not worth it. I wonder how many divorces could have been stopped if someone learned to control their time. Lord, help us to be people that would be in control of their members. In your precious name I pray. Amen.